0: The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. On with the show.
1: Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. And a hello to Eric Crema, who is the host of Spotlight on Success. And Eric, I think you hit another home run today with your interview that you found out with someone who has got a very interesting life. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I'm going to speak with Marlon Lefevre, and he is
2: founder of Addicted Fishing. And we're going to talk all about his website, the guide service, and things that they do, and why he got into the business. has a really interesting backstory. How about you? I, I, I hear you have Art Teal starting off.
1: Yes, Art Teal has joined me. I talk to him about once every year about sports, and I started thinking about the Seattle Mariners. The baseball season is about to begin. We've had a long drought for not making the playoffs, and I wanted to get Art's view on that. What did he think about the Seattle Mariners last year? What's he think about uh, what they're going to do this year? He's got some really interesting insights on that. So I'm going to be talking to him. And by the way, we expanded off to other areas as well. And one thing I learned is that Art Teal is retiring and his sportspressnorthwest.com site will is still up, but I mean, he's not writing anymore. Mm-hmm. He has a really new opportunity coming and uh, he wasn't willing to share that right now, but I'll keep you informed. It is around sports, but he's not going to be doing his uh, column all the time. And He's written thousands of columns and i always enjoy talking with him um let's see i'm going to be talking to a carol stern as well she's the executive director of the walton family foundation and uh, that's focused on global warming and uh the lack of water we're experiencing among other things that's what the foundation is involved in the reason i wanted to talk to her is that she demonstrated some optimism about us solving this problem Up to this point it's all been doom and gloom i don't see any glitter of hope but she talks in that direction so i said Hmm. i'm going to talk to her so uh we're going to talk about that today if you're listening to the Kixie side of this simulcast uh we're going to do the one hit wonder at the end of the show like we've done all quarter and uh this one has to do with an individual who was witnessing prostitution in downtown l.a and he felt that writing a pop song would be popular would bring focus to this situation. And uh, so I'll just leave you in limbo until we get to the end of the show when I talk about that more. If you're listening to the KKNW side of the simulcast, I'm going to be talking about another myth of going into business for yourself. And I suggest that many entrepreneurs fail because they have too much money. So you can flip over that if you'd be interested in listening to that. So again, this show is about people with experience and that's who we talk to. And uh, before we get to the main part of the show, Eric, you had a couple of other things you wanted to talk about.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, Paul. Uh, first of all, it sounds like a great show today. I'm looking forward to hearing all your interviews. And then uh, just as people listen to you at 3 o'clock over on Kixie 3 to 4, um, our our design has long been to take that 3 to 4 Monday through Friday and sort of create a Northwest feel of local programming. So uh, definitely stay tuned. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of new changes or great things happening, shows just like this Monday through Friday on Kixie 880. So that's exciting.
1: It really is. We need a lot of people going over that time slot and fill the week up, and it sounds like it's happening. Thanks, Eric. Columnist and sports commentator Art Teal. coming up next. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines
3: on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure.
1: Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of
3: Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com.
1: My guest is Art Thiel, and he has been illuminating, agitating, amusing, and annoying Puget Sound sports readers for a very long time. Not my words. Those are Art Thiel's words. It's on his website. I think he has a really good presence of how his articles have been received over the years. But, first and foremost, Art Teal is a journalist. So when I called Art Thiel and asked him for the interview, I wanted to talk about the Seattle Mariners because uh, I think he knows more about them than any sports writer in this area. I know we all are looking forward to a very strong season But more than that, we want a playoff team. I know that. And I wanted to get Art's opinion on that. However, I did find out, though, that he is going to be retiring from his um, Sports Press Northwest website, which contains a number of columns that I counted them over 1,000. And it's great to peruse those columns over the years. It's just a great sense of history of sports in Seattle. The good news is that he's going to be doing something else around sports i don't know what that is and he is not comfortable talking about that right now until it's solidified so i will keep you posted out there as to what art decides to do after i find out so on with the interview with art teal seattle mariners 2022 we have the season arriving shortly And I look back at the Seattle Mariners' history, and any fan knows this. We haven't been in the playoffs for a very long time. And uh, we go back to 2001. George Bush was president right after 9-11. But I want to get into 2022. How do you think things are looking? Well, I think it's a
4: positive uh, uptick because a lot of the young players that General Manager Jerry DePoto acquired over the past three seasons are starting to reach their ability to contribute on the major league level. And so combined with some quality holdover veterans, I think things are, are positive. Uh, but I must say that last year's 90 win season was grade A flukish <laughs> because The Mariners got to the last day of the season still in contention, mostly because of a lights-out bullpen that helped cover up for the fact that the offense was the worst in the American League and one of the worst in baseball, scoring 57 fewer runs than the opposition, yet they won 90 games and lost 72. Statistically, that is just an absurd outlier um, because you just don't win 90 games when you're 57 runs in arrears, but they had some terrible blowouts in the season and they had a lot of games saved by a bullpen. And in major league baseball, these days bullpens are, well, I guess the term is fungible. Uh, You interchange them. You don't know really what you're getting in a lot of cases. And the Mariners Drew aces <laughs> in their bullpen for most of the season. So, my point being that the Mariners could actually be a better team this year and not win as many games. Um, that's just because the flukish nature of a bullpen went all one way last year for the Mariners. And it's unlikely statistically speaking in terms of odds that they'll be able to repeat that so they're going to really have to come through with some bats and some offense which they made a couple of they made three moves to um, improve that and so we'll see if those moves pay off
1: sure now is it the bullpen is it weaker this year or is it the fact that they have a good bullpen, but you just can't count on them sustaining the type of effort that they put together last year, or is it both?
4: Well, it's a little bit of the latter, I think, because um, we can't really tell right now. I mean, we're only barely into spring training to see how these guys are going to perform. We do do know that uh, perhaps their best guy um, is out for the season. Casey Sadler had a consecutive inning streak of no runs allowed 29 innings it was uh, the major league best and carried it into the offseason but he was dealing with shoulder issues that are going to require surgery so he's out for the season and uh, that's a blow right there uh, they do get a couple of guys back who didn't pitch last year Ken Giles and Andres Munoz who were injured and now they have recovered, it's possible that they could fill the absence of Sadler. And they have a handful of guys that Mariner fans a year ago will probably recognize, Paul Sewald, Drew Steckenreiter, Eric Swanson, and Diego Castillo, that will be um, key factors. If they can repeat what they did a year ago, there's a chance that this bullpen can get close in addition to uh, Giles and Munoz. So it's not, it's not like they're terrible in the pen. It's just unknowable. And really you almost have to say that for every major league bullpen, because there's going especially this year because of shortened spring training, uh, it's going to be really hard for all major league clubs to get work in on the pitching staff, which is really what spring training is about. The players don't need uh, the, the position players don't need spring training. They got 162 games, but sorting out pitching arms that takes time and it takes all six weeks of spring training. And that's not going to happen because um, the um, lockout imposed by the owners that was finally resolved recently has compressed the season. They're going to play all 162 games, but they had to lengthen the season, at the end in october so we're going to have a november world series and then they are sprinkling in double headers and uh, eliminating some buys so you're going to see a slightly compressed season a very compressed spring training and that does not bode well for all major league teams in terms of trying to see what they have in terms of pitching strengths and weaknesses
1: I wonder if Major League Baseball will be rooting against the Colorado Rockies for winning or going into the World Series in November. You know what I'm driving at there.
4: <laughs> well, there's a, that's a thought. I hadn't, hadn't occurred to me, but that would be really, really bad news. Yeah, so <laughs> I've been to Denver in November, and uh, it's no place to be.
1: How about the West? Uh, are they as strong as Houston, as strong as ever then? How about Texas? How about the Angels, the competition? Is it uh, Seattle moving up, or are we going to have just stiff competition the whole way?
4: Houston might be a little more vulnerable. They've lost some players in free agency, Carlos Correa being the biggest one who took a big contract to go to the Minnesota Twins. But I certainly think that uh, Mike Trout's return to health is going to help the Angels. They've added players. The Rangers have really spent a lot of money to get back from their disastrous season of a year ago. The one break that the Mariners are catching here, the, their rival Oakland A's franchise is tearing itself apart because they can't afford the salaries. They're uh, the A's are stripping down to be a bare bones operation. Still give Billy Bean credit for his acumen in player acquisition. There's a chance they could be competitive, but I still think the Astros are going to win. But I think the Mariners are really going to be in a fight with the Angels and I think also the Rangers. So the A's are going to be out of it. But And so your, to answer your question, the Mariners have to get better just to stay even.
1: Okay, very good to know. What sport do you think is in the biggest trouble in terms of fan base and having a really good fan base going forward?
4: Well, in terms of fan base questions, I think the the issue is baseball. In terms of management, I think all of college sports is in, in a perilous place because of the consequences uh, of the arrival of paying players with outside money because of name, image, and likeness. The NCAA is helpless to do anything about it because – the NCAA basically is a trade association. It's not a. Um, it's not an agency. It's not in the same caliber as the monopolies are in with the NFL, MLB, NBA. Um, college sports is struggling to try to control, pay the players as much as you want. There will be no consequences, and the biggest programs are going to be. The biggest winners, Alabama, many schools in southeast Southeastern Conference, Ohio State, USC perhaps on the West Coast is going to revive its once-towering status, and a lot of other teams are going to be out of luck for championship contention, and even in the smaller school divisions, they may be out of business because they can't afford the arms race that's going on in college sports, but uh, to your question about fans um i think baseball's got a real problem because it's because it's become a regionalized sport the national games the world series the all-star game are suffering terrible tv ratings relative to the other sports the 162 games have an appeal to a regional audience and and the mariners benefit by having the largest geographic monopoly in baseball southern bc to Western Montana down to the Oregon California border, primarily are Mariner fans because they have no other option, and that's an enormous financial advantage for the Mariners. But it diminishes the the uh, the national appeal of the club, and baseball markets its primary source of revenue, the regional sports networks that televise all the games to a regional audience. Baseball really has an image problem, I think, also because the game has become boring. It's what's known in baseball as um, three true outcomes, the home run, the strikeout, and the walk, and that's what the game has devolved to, rather than hitting, bunting, quality defense, and putting, on offense, putting the ball in play as opposed to over the fence.
1: And the the game has what, I don't know the exact... uh... Length of a game now, the average is, but it's like well over three hours. It's maybe three and a half, sometimes close to four hours. That doesn't help. Well, the
4: average length is, yeah, just slightly less than three hours, but many do go longer, and they've tried all sorts of things. And I think a pitch clock is going to happen soon to make sure the pitcher will throw the ball within an allotted period of time. But you're only talking about shaving three or four or five minutes. The fact is that. There's large gaps of time between action in baseball. A walk is not really action. <laughs> I mean, there's four pitches or more. It's not an exciting way to play the game. But pitching has become so dominant with so many pitchers able to throw 95 miles an hour, more and more, throw 100 miles an hour, and the offense just hasn't caught up to it yet. With pitching being so dominant and offenses being toward it also by the defensive shift, it's a real problem.
1: I have a comment on this in terms of speeding up the game. I know we all do, so I'm sitting there sometimes watching a game going,
4: why don't you do it
1: this way? And I don't know how much this would really speed it up, but it makes me crazy. And that is when there's a call that's made, was it a home run, is it a foul, and they're going to do a replay, and that's back in New York where they're figuring it out. First of all, it just seems to take two or three minutes, and this is my own take on it and my own prejudice, is that when I see the replay, I'm right 90% of the time or more when I'm looking at the first time. I just kind of do this for a practice and then see if I'm right and I don't look at any more of the replays. Over 90% of the time, I'm right. I guess what I'm getting to is this. All the umpires run into the back of the home plate. They're looking at the cameras, and then they go, you're out or strike three or something. And then they run all the way back. Why don't the rumps just stay in place? Why can't they get this done faster? 15, 20 seconds when they're looking at the video and go on with the game.
4: Well, I think they're going to try to improve that, but again, it's going to be incremental. And the need for the video is because the stakes are so high. I mean, the, you know, these players are being paid millions, the teams are making a lot of money. The TV wants the audience. And so, the the strive for getting the call right has in, has increased exponentially. The same with the NFL. The NFL goes through a lot of tedious replays to make sure the play is right. And I think, on balance, being correct and being fair. Probably overrides Paul Casey's discomfort with it. I'm uh, hurt, Art.
1: You hurt me here. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, "I'm calling back to the baseball Cooperstown, wherever these people are, and go." Paul Casey feels this way, and you got to change it. <laughs> Guess it's not going to happen. Well, huh?
4: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, your voice is large, but um, <laughs> yeah, and you're not alone. Uh, but I don't think you're rich enough to make a difference. All right.
1: Reality back into the conversation is what you're saying. Um,
4: Yes. Obviously, you have a
1: reputation that's very solid. I mean, in terms of your research and everything, it's right on target. I mean, you can't argue with that at all. But you do have generated controversy in some of your uh, columns. What column did you write that maybe generated the most controversy during your career?
4: The most virulent opposition was that I said that when Don James resigned as University of Washington's head football coach, I said it was an act of cowardice because quitting 12 days before the season began is the kind of thing that he would have abhorred among his players. You don't quit when things get tough he did. I understand his principles. I understand that he was in protesting pending NCAA sanctions and PAC 12 sanctions against his recruiting practices, but that was not the way to go out. And, and so I was dead honest with it. I, I thought that he betrayed his principles. And so I got just a ton of letters and phone calls and complaints about that. And, uh, several death threats. So, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, people take their sports uh, way too seriously uh, often. I told my boss, I said, well, you know, what do I do about death threats? And he says, well, keep your head down. I said, hey, I'm six foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> God.
5: No
1: wonder I see you walking down the street and I go, hey, Art, you dive, you know. I didn't know that at the time. I said, Art's ignoring me. No, I, now I know why. Okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that uh, was that's not funny. I mean, seriously, that must have been a real difficult time
4: well yeah i mean it's you know i don't like having that but i'd rather have the you know i'm paid to tell what my view is of the facts the truth you know and to be as honest as i can with the readers and that came first and that's what i thought
6: sure Do I you know still a lot feel the of, same way
4: well yeah i don't, I don't have to change my mind about it i mean the bigger picture is that the ncaa is then and now massively screwed up and the circumstances that led to this situation with James in Washington is repeated hundreds of times around the country there's nothing special about what James did or did not do and the NCAA you know punishes about 10% of the miscreants but they got they got the goods on uh, him and so i don't regret writing it and uh, I I know James didn't forgive me for it for years. We finally maybe ten or twelve years later he was uh, polite to me. So, uh, um, but yeah, it was it was a tough thing to do, but it was a an extraordinary situation, and I think people you know Husky fans want to believe in the Husky coach and the program and all that. And I understand that their sentiments were rubbed raw, but it's the nature of the game and uh, the corruption in the NCAA at the University of Washington was big and wrong so I, I called it out
1: good for you that's what all great uh, journalists do now your sportspressnorthwest.com. you're no longer writing for it however um, you can still go on and read your columns is that correct is that going to be up and running for a long period of time Or are you going to pull that down yeah. eventually
4: well I um, you know I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work but um, I everything is there. You can still see the archive.
1: My thanks to Art Teal. And along with Steve Rubin, he founded Sports Press Northwest in 2008. And again, over a thousand columns there. Very interesting reading them. And then his last message to all his readers. So again, I will keep you posted when I find out what Art Teal is doing in the future.
3: There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Haniger, Or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Haniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My
1: name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is
3: simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit voicesofexperience.com and take a five minute self employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's voicesofexperience.com.
1: Carol Stern has joined me and she is the director of the Walton Family Foundation. Her professional responsibilities has taken her to 30 countries throughout the world. Now, the Walton Foundation focuses on three areas, improving K-12 education, protecting rivers and oceans and communities they support, and also investing in Walton's home region of Northwest Arkansas and Arkansas-Mississippi Delta. We're going through climate change, I believe, and uh, you don't need to look any further than Seattle when you look at the what we used to refer to Seattle as our drizzly dark winters now has turned into a lot more stormy winters with a lot more rain the summers are warmer I mean we didn't have our first 100 degree day to like the start of the 2000s and then we've had several 100 plus degree days and we'll probably see more of that going forward I used to bristle some when um, Seattle used to be referred as the rain capital of the world. I tried to look at the facts, and I said, that's simply not true. Now, we do have a lot of gray days and dark days, as I just mentioned. But in terms of quantity of rain, we rank 52nd in the country. New York, Chicago, Houston, Texas, all these other cities got much more rain than us. But now we are actually getting a lot more rain. So that's why I wanted to talk to uh, Carol and the initiative that they have underway to try to address this issue. You I was reading your background and the information about climate change, and uh, we're talking both water and also the climate that's heating up. But I want to start at this point, and that is, from what I read, you have some optimism that you are thinking about how we can deal with this situation And I really haven't read that at all about any other things I've seen. It's all been doom and gloom. I'd like to start there. Why are you optimistic that we're going to be able to come to grips with this uh, climate change?
0: I'm optimistic for a lot of reasons, Paul. You know, first and foremost, time is on our side. We really can turn this around if we act now. You know, I don't know how big that window is, but it's open right now, and we could make a difference. So that's the primary optimism secondarily though when you do a survey and you do it during the storm season as we did a couple years ago you're not surprised when the majority of americans are concerned with climate change and water but this time we didn't do it during the storm season and we saw that the majority of americans still think climate change is the most important issue we can deal with and remarkably seventy four percent See water as that unifying piece of climate change. You know they see that that you know they represented both sides of the aisle, one extreme to the other. They all felt that climate change was that really big issue we could all come together around, and that water would be the unifying factor in it. So that makes me optimistic. And then lastly, the generation that's coming into leadership now, we did research on them as well. They are activists. They're ready to take the responsibility and do the actions, do the work. So I'm excited. I think it's possible.
1: Well, that's very good to hear because, again, as I have said at the beginning, it's all been pretty much doom and gloom all the way along. What can we do as citizens about, um, I imagine, lobbying legislators and things like that to do some positive things about climate change and, and reduce that in you know, just make the situation better.
0: So there's lots we can do. And you, know, you can start with with your own day to day, from the time you turn your faucet on in the morning till you shut it off at night, being cognizant of the water you use and the water you waste, That's a good start. Secondly, we can teach our children habits so that they don't waste water. You know, especially in a place like Seattle where the fishing industry is such a large part of your economy, Making sure your legislators enforce sustainable fishery, going to those who are selling and demanding it, and going to those who are making the rules and asking that the rules be put in place and held to. And then we can do bigger things. We can support, you know, natural infrastructures, work on rebuilding wetlands, on restoring riverbanks, on not wasting water across the board, not just individually at the foundation we're working with farmers to help them grow what they grow with less water in particular we're really pushing for cover crops you know between the seasonal crop rotation of crops that you grow to put in a cover crop because it helps to restore the soil and to keep it healthy and when the soil is healthy then there is no runoff of things that become toxic to the water and then one project i'm really excited about it's almost in your backyard it's in the colorado river basin We're working with NASA and Google and with a bunch of environment groups. We're bringing satellite imagery and making it available so that we can monitor water use and actually help farmers not waste even one drop, but really use the minimum necessary to grow the crops that they're growing. So big things, little things, lots of ways to get involved in this.
1: Yeah, You mentioned the Colorado River, and I kind of was thinking about that. And... I'm now in the state of California, in Southern California, just uh, for a couple of months before I go back to my beloved Seattle. But um, I look at uh, what has been happening here. And when we talk about water and how plentiful it was, and it's going down like every year, I mean, that's what I started out the conversation with doom and gloom. Like, you know, we're not getting a lot of snowpack here in Southern California. My point is, is that it almost seems to me it's such an emergency that, like in Las Vegas because of the Colorado River, that the lights are going to go out in about two years, but there's not this huge emergency on the West Coast and in other states' interior that are really trying to come to grips with this emergency, and sometimes I ask myself, is it really that bad?
0: Well, it is that bad. You know, 70% of our food production is reliant on water. The majority of Americans see climate change as the most important issue we can address right now, and I think the scariest number to me was that a quarter of the people we surveyed believe there won't be enough water for their grandchildren. And that, to me, if that's not a wake-up call, I'm not sure what is. You know, I look at my grandkids and I want their life to be as good as it can possibly be, this is our planet. You know, I, I believe we need to leave it better than we found it, and it's within our power to do that. And then, so if, you know, water is life, we can't address it, what are we doing?
1: When I look at what I consider to be information catastrophic uh, coming our way, but we go on with business as usual, I guess I'm going to stick with that point that you would think there would be a convening of all the officials to do something like desalinization plants on the West Coast or things like that, that we need to do this in the next 36 months or something along those lines.
0: I think you're seeing more organized efforts. You're seeing corporate America in particular step up before they're being required to step up. And you're seeing the nonprofits, instead of working individually, coming together and working collaboratively. And you're seeing government on both sides of the aisle talking about climate change and demanding solutions and working. It's one of the few issues that really is apolitical and has everybody involved.
1: Tell us about your organization.
0: The Walton Family Foundation is at its heart a family foundation, three generations of the Waltons sustaining and running it. And we are primarily funding projects in three areas, K-12 education, reimagining school, ensuring that mom and dad have... uh, choices about where and how their children learn. Secondly, the environment, as you've just heard, great emphasis on sustaining and protecting our rivers and oceans. And then lastly, give back to the region that built the family, and that's northwest Arkansas and the Delta.
1: What is the Delta about? Why is that such a concern?
0: Well, you know, the Delta, the center of our country, is often forgotten. People tend to think about the two coasts as opposed to the center, and the Delta, you know, it's called the heartland for a reason. It is the heart of America. And so looking at what's happening there, what, you've got rich, fertile land in the Delta. How do we maximize it? You've got rivers in the Delta that, that really sustain our nation. How do we protect them? And then you've also got a, a fairly significant wealth gap in the Delta. So how do we close that gap, provide economic opportunity?
1: Yeah, and you know you say that we think about climate change on both coasts, and we don't think about the Delta or mid-America that much, and I'm one of those people, so thank you for bringing me up to speed on that.
0: No, it's it's a beautiful part of the country, too, and I, I think that, um, you know, as a former New Yorker who's moved to Arkansas for this job, I can tell you it is alive, vibrant, beautiful, and an amazing place to live and be.
1: Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Bye-bye, Paul.
1: My thanks to Carol Stern for joining us today. And again, Carol is the executive director of the Walton Family Foundation. If you would like to find out more about the Walton Family Foundation, all you need to do is visit waltonfamilyfoundation.org. That's waltonfamilyfoundation.org.
3: You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose? This doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure.
1: Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is
3: simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit voicesofexperience.com and take a five minute self employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's Voices voicesofexperience.com. And welcome to today's Spotlight
2: on Success. I'm speaking with Marlon Lafever, founder of Addicted. Addicted, formerly known as Fishing Addicts Northwest, was established in 2009, and they're an online resource for all things fishing, guides, gear, video, articles, social media, and more. Well, I'm really happy to have, via Zoom, into our studios, Marlon Lefevre. Marlon, how are you? Good, man. Thanks for
5: having me. Appreciate it.
2: First of all, you got to know, okay, Marlon, is that a legit name? Marlon that, that
5: is that is a hundred percent a legit name. My dad and the funny thing is it doesn't even have anything to do with fishing. My dad, his best friend, was named Marlon. So he named me after his best friend.
2: Ah, uh, that's a cool name though. That's perfect for what you do. Yeah. <laughs> course there's not too many marlin up here in the northwest um let's talk about the company addicted uh and i and actually previous to our interview i thought it was addicted fishing was it ever called addicted fishing or has it always been just called addicted most no recently? it's
5: so it actually the company name is addicted fishing okay um the brand is addicted so you know people know us by our brand you know our logo addicted which is you know the word addicted with a hook striking through the center of it right so most guys and gals just call us addicted but The company's actually, you know, the website, everything is Addicted Fishing. Got it. So uh,
2: let's get a little history on the company. Uh, How did it get started? Who's involved? And where do you think it's
5: going? Yeah. So I started this thing about 10 years ago, 2009 is when I established it. So man, it's it's going on more than 10 years now. I kind of lost track of time there.
3: Yeah. But uh,
5: the whole inspiration behind the company is, you know, I grew up in a background where I didn't necessarily have access to fishing. I grew up in the foster care system my whole entire life from the time I was a baby until the time I was about 12 is when the state of Washington foster care system actually took me away from my parents forever. And my parents and my brother and my sister and, and really my whole family struggled with addiction, addiction mm-hmm. to drugs, addiction to alcohol, you know, whatever their crutches may be. And I always had this passion for fishing. You know, growing up, I I have some slight memories, you know, of my dad taking me catfishing when I was really little. But then when I went into foster care, you know, I didn't have access to fishing. I didn't have, you know, the foster families that I was in. None of them were outdoors people. Okay. But this passion for fishing stayed with me like my entire life. So as I got older and as I got, you know, my driver's license, I started really, no pun intended, getting addicted to fishing. And as I got more and more into it and more and excited about it, I just had this passion, like, you know, the smile and the the brightness you see on someone's face when they catch their first fish or their first trout or bass, it really resonated with me. And so I started kind of thinking about, you know, what about all these kids and people around the world that are growing up in similar scenarios that I did where, you know, they don't have a grandpa or a dad or or anyone to really show them fishing and show them the outdoors and so that was the inspiration. I started, you know, I started a website at first. It was just a blog. I was writing articles on there and writing for some local magazines and just basically trying to teach people how to fish. And the, the whole motto was educate, entertain, and inspire. And so just trying to get people onto this healthy habit of fishing versus the route that my family chose, which was drug addiction. You know, once you get really, really into fishing, it consumes you. It, it really does. It, it becomes this true addiction to where it's like all you think about all you want to do is just go out and chase another fish so that's kind of where the name came from and why I named it addicted is it was addicted to fishing instead of addicted to this unhealthy habit that
2: what an amazing story and achievement on your part uh, to resist all that Um, did it help then being in foster care was that also very helpful to avoid going down the other path
5: It, it really was man you know I got I got I would say I got lucky you know I got into a foster family out here in, in Battleground Washington that was very strict you know lots of rules you go to church every Sunday you go to seminary every morning and they they really whipped me into shape you know I think they I think that family molded me as a human you know they had me in Boy Scouts I ended up becoming an Eagle Scout and learning all sorts of leadership skills and it turned me away from those things that I think I would have got involved in you know when I went into foster care at 12 you know, I got charged with a, a pretty serious crime at at age 12. And I think not going into foster care, if I, if I would have stayed down that path, I would have ended up right where the rest of my family is. And so you, you know, you hear a lot of bad stories about foster care and and I can probably tell you a lot of bad ones that I experienced growing up being in and out of different homes, but there is some good families out there. There really is some good parents that are, you know, helping these kids like me that just don't have families. I like the fact
2: that you, I mean, you're, you're fairly young and to be able to look back with that maturity and say, I see where the path was going. I see where, uh, it, it diverged for me and now I want to give back because anyone that goes on your website kind of gets that feeling that you're more than just, you know, talking about fishing itself or here are some great guides. You go a little bit deeper and in, into other things or almost the spiritual aspects of fishing
5: yeah absolutely. you know the again, the whole thing is it's it's more about inspiring guys to get out there and want to enjoy the outdoors and and love the outdoors versus going out and trying to you know just slaughter fish it's It's not really about that you know it's about you know learning inspiring and getting new generations of kids just to be excited about the outdoors.
2: I imagine too that the demographics have really changed just in say the last thirty forty years. Uh, I imagine a lot more girls and women are are getting involved in fishing.
5: Yeah, it's a really cool to see. And especially with our brand, you know, we've seen the women in the outdoors continue to grow every single year. It's really cool to see it's, it's, you know, fishing, you know, kind of historically isn't necessarily a women's hobby, but why not? You know, Mm -hmm. women are just like men. They can go out and experience it the same way. And it's, it's been cool to watch that segment grow more and more into the future. And I hope it just continues to do that. I know we've seen our audience and women grow immensely over the last, especially the last couple of years with COVID and people just wanting to get out and experience new things.
2: Well, we're very lucky in this region to have so many different options from lakes to rivers to streams to, of course, the Puget Sound and even the ocean. So there's really no excuse not to get out and fish if that's something you want to do. Um, yeah, absolutely.
5: <laughs> absolutely. And the, and the thing, too, that we try to teach, if you watch a lot of our videos, you know, where you can find most of our content and the things that we're doing is on our YouTube channel, Addicted Fishing. And what we try to teach on there and show people is like, hey, it's not just about, again, the fishing. You know, we love to just show people like the outdoors and the resources that you can use. You know, we do all sorts of catch and cooks and camping and hiking and exploring. And it's it's all about more the whole experience of just being in the outdoors and kind of resonating with nature.
2: Do you have any designs maybe, and I'm just throwing this out there, do you have any designs of maybe – uh, working with uh, kids that that had your similar situation, giving them an opportunity to get out in the outdoors, maybe almost a ph- philanthropy philanthropy uh, aspect of the business.
5: Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because right now I'm actually in talks um, with some people in the foster care system here in Washington State and trying to figure all that out. Um, I'm in the process of starting a 501 c and I'm going to I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of that. It's you know it's I it's hard, you know, that I've been so focused on growing the business and growing the brand that, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, why haven't you done this yet? And it's like, well, it's always been a goal of mine, but I just haven't had the opportunity to do it now. And now I think I'm at that point finally, where I've gotten the business to a place in its time where it can, it's running pretty self-sufficient. The brand continues to grow. And now I can really start to focus on some of these things that I'm passionate about just like that. So I'm in the process of of doing all that. And people are going to see a lot of that stuff coming out in the near future. You know, that I had a feeling one of your kind of questions were going to be, what, what do you have planned for the future? And that, that is exactly it. You know, I plan to use this brand that we've built and this audience that we've built to start to do things like that, you know, get foster care kids into fishing, you know, try to help fight some of these political issues that we see in our fisheries in the Northwest, since they're so highly regulated by, you know, the federal government, being that we're fishing on a lot of endangered fish, you know, a lot of salmon and steelhead in the region are in danger. And so there's a lot of politicalness around our fisheries. And I really, really plan to use addicted to help some of those things and fight some of those issues and causes and, and hopefully make some change.
2: And I know conservation is huge for you too. Just judging by, again, my conversations with you and uh, looking at your videos and, and, uh, of course, your website. One more time on uh, the YouTube. Best thing to do is go to Addicted Fishing on YouTube and start looking at videos. Is that what you recommend?
5: Yeah, yeah. That's going to be where you're going to find most of our content is on YouTube at Addicted Fishing. But you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, our website, obviously, www.addicted.fishing Um, You can find us pretty much any platform that you like to enjoy content. We also make podcasts. So if you're on Apple or Spotify or any of those platforms, you can
6: find our podcast as well.
2: Well, thank you, Marlon, so much for your time. And good luck with you and your
6: whole team there at Addicted. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at GetScreened.org.
1: That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and along with Eric Crema, we thank you for joining us today. Eric, what do you have coming up for us next week?
2: Well, I'm really hoping to get this gentleman on an interview, uh, Ryan Schroeder. He's the event supervisor for Metro Parks Tacoma. And I want to talk about all the cool things that are happening down there. You know, we so much here locally is focused on... Seattle and even Everett and things like that and and Tacoma is really gone through a bit of a renaissance of late in their parks in particular so I want to hear about um, I'm hearing rumor of this really cool area called the Dunes so I want to know what that's all about and what are some exciting events that are coming up for the folks in Tacoma or those who just want to travel down there and check it out so I'm excited
1: well to your point Eric you pushed me a little bit several months ago about getting out of the Seattle centric which we often do, and mm-hmm. I'm guilty as anybody. But one of our best shows that we had was on Bremerton. I learned so much about that city um, with uh, Wes Larson. And then we both mutually discussed, let's move into Tacoma, because you're right, that is just on a renaissance on, and uh, hitting you know its stride mm-hmm. really well. And to that end, I'm going to be talking to uh, Aaron Artman, and he's the president of the Tacoma Rainiers. He's been in that uh, position for over a decade, And I know a lot of people enjoy going to those games at Cheney. I want to talk to him about what it was like being the president of the Tacoma Rainiers. When we're going through COVID, we missed one season last year. There were so many protocols. Hopefully this is going to be getting past all this, but I'm sure there's uh, some, you know, warning signs out there with the uh, variant, but anyhow, I'm not going to go there. Hopefully we're going to have a full season. I think we will, And I say we because I am part owner of the Tacoma Rainiers. That's full disclosure, which Mm -hmm. I want people to know about. But still, I think it's a wonderful story to talk about and kind of celebrating Tacoma and uh, some of the things that they've done. Um, I'm also going to talk to a Cy Wakeman, and she's the author of a book called Life's Messy, Live Happy. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting message. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we try to do things like meditate or problems away per se. And that's not a bad thing. But what I really like about this is that, you know, things happen in life. How can you then, going through those difficulties, live happy? So I'm really anxious to talk to her, and she'll be here next week. Let's see. Any comments about what you heard today? You can visit the Voices of Experience hotline, 425-653-1166. Leave any comments, what you heard today, or anything you want to relate to us. That's 425-653-1166. Just keep your comments short, and let us know if we can broadcast it on the air. Unless you say that, we won't do that. So uh, now this show airs, Voices of Experience, on Wednesdays at 3 o'clock p.m. on Kixie. And as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, it is simulcast on KKNW, 1150 a.m. And then the show is repeated on Sundays. At 11 o'clock a.m. I hope you got that all out there. <laughs> I uh, just got through this myself. So let me see. What else? My name again is Paul Casey. I want to thank Eric Crema, the host of Spotlight on Success, and executive producers, Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's true character, give him power. Abraham Lincoln. Now, I want you to think about two individuals. Vladimir Putin, and Vladimir Zelensky. And I'll read that again. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's true character, give him power. And finally, for this week,
3: and the ad Council.
2: Well Paul, this is the time of the show on the KKnW version where we do sort of a self-employment segment and it's a chance for you to talk about myths that entrepreneurs need to be aware of and I understand from your uh, from your website and from your self-employment quiz you're going to talk about myth number two today.
1: Yes, there are eight total myths that I have identified over the years and that's been a slow build. I just didn't come up with these overnight. There were certain experiences I had, and I have said before, I made every mistake in the book. And one of the reasons I survived them was because I kept my overhead low, and um, you can't stretch yourself out too much. So that's when it came to me that many small businesses fail because they are undercapitalized. That's a myth that actually it's the opposite, that many businesses fail because they have too much money in the beginning. And yes, you heard that right. When I first started my business, a colleague of mine was starting her business in the area of public relations. She was very talented, or is very talented, and um, I was starting a newspaper at the time, and that's a public relations field per se, but what I'm driving at is that when she went into her business, she opened up a big office down in Pioneer Square area, lovely office, hired a bunch of employees, and it was predicated on their first client that they would bring through the door, and that was a lucrative client, so they got everything geared around that. Well, guess what? That client canceled at the last moment. Mm -hmm. So they were left holding the bag, per se. And that is my strong belief, is that not only when you're looking at keeping your overhead low, also think worst-case scenarios. There's too much, think positive, and you'll get through things. Don't put yourself way behind the eight ball before you even get out the door. So I'm suggesting that a lot of people, when they're considering this option, you can control that. There's a lot of things in business you can't control, but you can control how much money goes out the door. For example, this is figures from the 1990s, so they're probably less inflated than they are now. But when you compare what she paid for in overhead, she didn't last that long. But my experience was I was printing my newspaper in a publishing company that gave me free office space at the time. Now, it was a rat hole, but it was free. (laughs) And uh, I sometimes was jealous of this individual because she had this wonderful office space. But I learned later because of this, I did a little math, not my strength, but I did some of it. And uh, I found that by having this relationship with this publishing company, I probably saved $700,000 in the first 10 years of my business. That's a lot of money. Wow! And um, I was able to accomplish a lot of what I could do, but I didn't need all that overhead. A lot of people telling me, oh, you need a brand new car. You need a flashy office space. You think it through. I'm not going to pick up a client in a car. I'm gonna, and also, if I'm going to visit a client, that's me visiting them. They're not going to come to my office. So anyhow, you think that those things through. So even more today with Zoom and everything else, there's no excuse to really have to spend a lot of overhead in the beginning. I wanna get you to the three to five year mark. And I think that philosophy is good. After that point, if you wanna go get a big board and do other things with your business, fine. But I think I try to coach on my website and with the myths that I talk about that I wanna get you in a position to succeed. So. That's kind of what I talked about today as far as, again, keeping your overhead low. And I will say it again, that small businesses do fail because they have
6: too much money. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at getscreened.org.
0: You've been listening to the Voices of Experience Radio Network. No promotional fees have been paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And finally, experience is our best teacher.